I'm going to read you one of the uh, great uh, short stories in literature. And uh, before I do, I want to read a prayer which is not commonly prayed in the morning uh, from the Book of Common Prayer, but it's a prayer that comes out of this great short story. So let me just say the prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, you'll, you'll recognize it's more of an evening prayer, which is where our story ends up. Um, in this text, but you listen as I pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, stay with us, for the day is far spent and the evening is at hand. Be our companion in the way, enkindle our hearts and awaken hope that we may know you as you are revealed in the scriptures and in the breaking of the bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. Amen. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. Resurrection Sunday. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven years or miles out of Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Suddenly... Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who he was because God kept them from recognizing them. You seem to be in a deep discussion about something, he said. What are you so concerned about? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. This is almost funny. What things? <laughs> Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, highly regarded by both God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had thought he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. That all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone, and it was just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you are such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his time of glory? Then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining what all the scriptures had said about himself. By this time, they were entering Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus would have gone on, but they begged him to stay the night 
And since it was getting late, they sat down and ate together. He took a small loaf of bread, asked God's blessing on it, broke it, and then gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts feel strangely warm as he walked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Yeah. Now, there's so many reasons why this story is so great. Uh, there's the mystery and wonder of what seems to be a chance meeting with a stranger and what turns out to be an epiphany. Uh, transforming revelation with one who turns out to be a friend. Now, I was meditating on this passage uh, a few years ago. I was at uh, Los Angeles International Airport, and my wife had gone up to, walked out to go to the restroom or whatever. And I've been reading this passage, and I, I was thinking about my dad. My dad died suddenly, uh, no warning. Uh, in fact, he, I, I remember the date. It was also the date I met my wife. I met her in the evening. Later on that evening, my dad suddenly died of, of heart failure. And uh, this, this is, you know, you never get over this, really. And uh, there were things I wish I would have said to him. Uh, I wish we could have talked about. And, and it still haunts me. So I, I'm reading a story, you know, and here are these, these two men. They've, they've lost Jesus, they believe. And, uh, and I was saying, what would it be like? And this is just my, my fantasy as I'm sitting there in the airport. What, it, what would it be like if, if a stranger walked over and sat next to me? And uh, we started chatting. And it's just one of those unusual kind of encounters where I, he, this, this man just makes me feel very comfortable. And the next thing I know, I'm telling him everything that still hurts about my father. And somehow, he lets me know, it's okay. It's okay. Even as I... Uh, recount the fantasy, I get choked up because he, he gets up in this fantasy and he walks off to his gate and he shouts back, bye. And it's my dad. Well, this is kind of like what happens. Jesus meets these people and and he asks them to tell him their story. Now, I don't think this is just a, kind of a way of gently easing into the conversation. Uh, so so what, what happened? And what are you so upset about? And they're amazed that he doesn't know what they're all upset about. And he says, well, what, what, what happened? And they start, okay, this is kind of funny, but it's, they start telling Jesus about Jesus. And them. And after listening for a while, and well, that could be another sermon, really, but what he was doing when he did that, I think he was the very least. He, he, certainly, he didn't need any information. <laughs> but, but there's something very important was happening to them as they're telling Jesus their story. And uh, when they get done, he looks at them. And with a, a astonishing bluntness says, you, 
are such foolish people. Now, I've got a book uh, that I'm reading. The title's better than the book, but it's still a pretty good book. It's called God is Not Nice. And, uh, well, and of course, the point of the book is he's better than nice. Uh, but if you, uh, I challenge you to do this sometime. Just sit down and read the Gospels. Uh, in one sitting, if you can, but in a couple. And just note the times that Jesus is not nice. So here they are, they are down, and, and they're telling Jesus about Jesus, and he wants to know more, well, why are you so concerned about it? And, and they pour their hearts out, and again, he's not getting information, they're, they're connecting with this stranger. And his first remark is, when they're done, is you are such foolish people. Well, that would also be another sermon about the way he speaks to us sometimes. But I don't want to go there. What I want to do with the rest of the time we have here is to see what Jesus does with their story. You know, I, it, it, this is really pop culture right now. Uh, we, could, we could have a whole sermon on how important your story is and how good it is when we tell each other our stories. And, and there's a whole thing in our culture going on right now that if, if you tell me your story, I tell you my story, there's some kind of revelation that happens. And I want to say nonsense. And Jesus is not impressed with their story. In fact, what he does is tell them his story, which is the only way their story can make any sense. The root of your problem, the Lord says, and of all your problems, is that you don't know God's story. And your ignorance of God's story is directly proportionate to your ignorance of Scripture. Now again, we have to be a little taken back by Jesus' lack of bedside manner here. But he wants them to know, you, you are so broken because you never knew God's story. And your ignorance of God's story is directly proportionate to your ignorance of the Bible. Now, how important is the Bible to Jesus? Well, in Luke's gospel, uh, there's just a few stories about his resurrection appearances. Uh, at the top of them, it would seem like Jesus went straight from the empty tomb to these two men walking to Emmaus to uh, lead a Bible study. I mean, why did God keep his identity from them? What purpose would there be in that? Well, it's pretty clear. If he would have shown up and said, bada bing, I'm here, I'm, I'm alive, rejoice, uh, they would have no interest in opening their Bibles or being taught from the Bible. And Jesus kept his identity from them, so they would. And, and brothers and sisters, I want to say right now, you, you want to get a, a one-liner on what I want to say this morning, it's simply this. Uh, Revelation usually comes after meditation. Uh, I had a woman went to join the church I pastored in Irvine, California, and she was she, she was kind of put off. She 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 liked the sermons, she liked the fellowship, she liked the worship, and she said, "You know, but what bothers me about you guys is you you want to go to God through Jesus, and you want to go to Jesus through the Scriptures." 
And uh, she was a very wealthy woman, quite old, and uh, looked about 20 years younger than she really was. And she just, uh, she said, I, when, I, when I go to a store, I don't want to talk to a clerk. I want to talk to the owner. And so for her, the, the Bible and God through Jesus was like, come on, you're, you're, I want to go right to the top. But you never get right to the top, except what the top says has to be the path. And Jesus says it's the Bible. How important is the Bible to Jesus? Well, when he hung on the cross, he who was the master of original thinking and who could have prayed an, a, a marvelous extemporaneous prayer quotes scripture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Uh, you are in error, he said to the Sadducees, because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You diligently study the scriptures, he said to the Pharisees, because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify to me. Scripture cannot be broken. And when he did battle with Satan in the wilderness, he just quoted the Bible. And you might say, hey, well, hey you wrote it, right? Yes. But Jesus, you know, as, a, as a boy, learned how to pray from the Bible. And he continually pointed his disciples to the scriptures. So, okay, you're, you're, you've got a story. Your life is confusing to you. That, that's not unusual. And there, and there is some value in talking about it with each other and, and you know, having some sharing and stuff like that. But I, I want to say right now, Jesus says, listen to my story because it'll make your story make sense if you get the big picture. And you only get it through the scriptures. Now, I think there are three kinds of ignorance of the Bible. There's the ignorance of illiteracy. You simply don't know the basic information, usually from neglect. You want to follow Jesus? Well, which Jesus? What's he like? What's he do? What's he say? The only place you can go to get that is in the Bible. There's the ignorance of objectivity, of detached inquiry. Now, I work in a college, and I am very grateful for our religious studies department. But the danger of academic study of the scripture, and it's a danger, it's a risk we must take, but the danger of academic study is that it objectifies the Bible. It puts it out under a microscope. And as Frederick Buechner put it so well, he said, reading the Bible as literature is like reading the brothers Karamazov for its punctuation. And Moby Dick is a whaling manual. You know. Now the Bible says the Bible, in the book of James, is a mirror. And Soren Kierkegaard wrote a very fine book on reading the Bible, it's called For Self-Examination. He said, when you read the Bible, and he's taking this from James chapter one, he said, when you read the Bible, say to yourself over and over again, this is written to me, and it's written about me. It's a mirror. And he was critical of the church of uh, 19th century Denmark when he said, you know, all the sermons I hear, they're, they're talking about the mirror. But they're not talking about whose image is in the mirror. 
It's like, well, James says, it's like, and I'll put my own spin on this, it's like checking your teeth after having a salad and noticing there's spinach between your front teeth and promptly forgetting about it and going off. Now you're supposed to learn something about yourself and do something about it. And there's ignorance of myopia. Now you only see a few details, you don't see the whole picture. So what did Jesus do? He said a hard word. He said, read your Bible. Well, you know, when I first read this, I, I thought, well, he did say it was clearly predicted by the prophets that, that God's son would die and be raised. So I, I got out my the concordance in the back of my, my Bible, and I thought, well, what scriptures was he quoting? Dang, I couldn't find one. Well, maybe one. But, but again, the Lord said this was clearly there. And I'm saying, after many years of preaching and teaching the Bible and a seminary education, I'm saying when I started looking in the Old Testament to find out where it was clearly predicted, I couldn't find a word. Well, he must have been driving at something. It's pretty important, and I think it's this. It says you need, you need to immerse yourself in the Bible. Now, this is not an elitist exercise. It just means, well, it's like this. Some of us like to treat the Bible like uh, I use Tabasco sauce. You know, uh, it livens the flavor of things. And so uh, a few verses are good. You know, a few favorite lines of scripture. And you sort of sprinkle it on your, in your conversation and your life, and it, it makes things better. But I think what Jesus was saying, if you would read the scriptures as though they really were the word of God, if you really plumbed their depths, well, my metaphor is it'd be like marinating meat, not just flavoring meat. And so you, you soak yourself in the story. You soak yourself in the scriptures. Now, remember, this isn't me being, you know, kind of a preacher trying to make you feel guilty about not reading the Bible seriously. Uh, apparently, Jesus was not at all adverse to saying to these grieving disciples, if you would have read your Bibles deeply, you wouldn't be so sad right now. And so he opened the scriptures to them. And at the end of the evening, they said their hearts were warmed. Now, the point I want to make here is not get out of this, this church service, go home and start, students, start reading your Bibles. Yeah. You know, that, that would be the worst thing I could say to you. Uh, get out and read your Bibles because you've got, you've got finals, you've got papers, you've got stuff to do. And the last thing you need to hear from a pastor is throw this on top of all the other things you have to do. And I want to just make a radical comment right here. If we're to take this seriously, it's not about what we need to add to our lives as much as it is what we need to subtract from our lives. And if you see this call to soak in the scriptures, to know the story, if you see it as something you've got to just suddenly add to everything else you're doing, well, you're, you're going to miss the point. And you're going to be very discouraged. No, what I'm saying is, do you believe that there's life here? That 
that all the confusion and darkness of your life, all the, the things that trouble you, can actually begin to make sense and, and to find their place if you just gave God some time. Now, when I first heard people say the things I'm saying to you, I went out and said, I'm going to do that. And being a, an athlete, I thought, I'm going I'm to be a spiritual athlete. I'm going to go out there and just start spending a lot of time in the Bible. And I did, until I stopped, uh, until I fell off the wagon, until I couldn't do it any longer. But what I'm, what I'm commending to you all here is a lifetime of coming back again and again and again to the word of God and letting it shape your imagination, letting it shape your affections, letting it shape the way you think about things. And so Jesus says, your story doesn't make any sense yet, but it will. If your hearts are warmed by the word of God. Well, life's big. And it's confusing at times. We need something to hang on to. And I commend to you the story of the gospel. And to make it your own. Uh, to soak yourself in it. You know, peoples and cultures have always told big stories to explain the way things are. Uh, we call them myths. And now we think of myths as lies, but... But in the truest sense, a myth is just the story that we tell ourselves or that a culture tells itself to say this is what is true. And in the truest sense of the word, the gospel is the one myth that is true, that really happened. Uh, my hero C.S. Lewis was a professor of literature. And he was always drawn to the gospel, but he thought it was a myth that was not true. It was like all the other myths. And his close friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, who was a devout Christian, uh, he and Lewis would talk about myths. And, 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 and Tolkien finally said to him one evening as they were walking outside of Maudlin College at, in Oxford, he said, you know, the gospel is a myth, all right, but it's a true myth. It really happened. It's a myth that actually took place in history. But the only way you're going to know it's truth is to start living in it. Now, in another context, uh, Pascal in a previous century, he would say to non-believers, and if you're a non-believer, this is for you. Uh, start acting as though you believed it were true. How would you act? I mean, right now, we have, you have a chance to come to the Lord's table. How would you act if you believed this story was true? Well, learn the story. Act out the story. There's a sense in which being a Christian is just, what Paul talks about, it's putting on Christ. Like, like you put on a costume. It's, it's acting as though you believed it were true. And if you wait until you believe it's true to act as though it's true, you may never believe it's true. But if you act as though it's true, you will discover that it is true. And you'll soak in it. Well, these, uh, these disciples, these confused and sad men. They said something that I, I pray for myself and I pray for every student that I know at Westmont, is that we would be a communion, a fellowship of 
burning hearts. That uh, we would look at each other regularly and say, wow, this is true. We would encourage each other with saying, oh, this is so good. But it's a choice. It really is. Um, for so much of my life, I would say to the Lord, God, I want to be joyful. And I'd say, well, whenever you're ready. And then I saw the scripture that said, Ben, you're commanded to be joyful. In other words, you're commanded to act out what you believe to be true. So open your Bibles. Not right now, but most of you have them open. But open your Bibles. And the Bible isn't God, but the Bible will point you to the word of God, who is Jesus Christ. I close with this. Uh, Francis Schaeffer was a man who inspired my generation to uh, believe in the truth of Scripture. And uh, he, he says something about the Bible on its nightstand. And, and I've, I started doing this when I first heard Schaeffer when I was 21 years old. He said, I don't love this book because it has a leather cover and golden edges. I don't love it as a holy book. I love it because it is God's book. And through it, the creator of the universe has told us who he is, how to come to him through Christ, who we are, and what all reality is. Without the Bible, we wouldn't have anything. And this is the part that is kind of part of my evening prayer. Uh, it may sound melodramatic, but sometimes in the morning, and I do this at night, I reach for my Bible and just pat it. I'm so thankful for it. If the God who was there had created the earth and then remained silent, we wouldn't know who he is. But the Bible reveals the God who is there. That's why I love it. I don't love the Bible as a book. I, I love it because of its content and who gave the content. I feel this more strongly, emotionally, as well as intellectually every year that my life passes. Well, I don't know if Jesus had a smile on his face when he said, you are such foolish people. I hope he did. But I believe him. If I've been given something that is so precious, and if I've been told a story that is so transforming, and I don't find the time to live within that story, well, what hope is there? So we say, Lord, have mercy on us. Show us your ways. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us your ways. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.